Welcome to yet another episode of Home Ice Advantage. It's been a full week, which is the first time that's happened this season. To be upfront, I have a ton of news to cover, whether it's actual news or the three games that have happened since the last time we spoke. The good news is, is that there will be an extra Saturday episode this week. The bad news is, I will not be able to go almost in depth at all for any subject I talk about today, including the two games in Western Canada. It's probably for the best I don't get to go in depth on them, but it is what it is. Let's start the show and hopefully not go past 30 minutes. Welcome to Home Ice Advantage, with historical perspectives, modern-day deep dives, special guests, and a healthy mix of good, bad, and or hot takes. This is the best place for you to learn about your Carolina home games. I just want to say thank you, and I'm looking forward to this challenge. It's an honor, and I think we're going to do great things. As I said at the top, there is a lot of stuff to go over. Since our last episode, Reverse Retros have finally been released. There's been even more Ethan Bear news. Eric Stahl finally signed an NHL contract. There has been cap news, and we had a mixed bag worth of games in Western Canada. We're going to start with something that has nothing to do with anything I just said, actually. It's going to be Martin Natchez and Andrei Svechnikov. We've been saying for years now, uh, at least two seasons, if only Andrei Svechnikov could take that magical step. If only Martin Natchez could show the promise in the NHL that he did in the AHL winning a Calder Cup. And it looks like, very early into the season, I will give you that. They might just have done it. Both players went on a four-game winning streak to start the season. Andrei Svechnikov currently leads the NHLs in goals, but we'll get to that later. And Martin Natchez has not only shown us why he's worth that bridge deal, but thanks to Rod Brendamore, he's been taking face-offs and playing more of that center role when it's available, which is what he really wanted to do. So, very early into the season... Have Andrei Svechnikov and Martin Natchez taken that magical step? Yes, 100% yes. If they play like this for 60 games out of the 82 games this season, the team will be in a much better place. They will earn a lot more trust, which they have, by the way. Rod Brindamore has been starting periods with the Kakanyemi, or Confidence Line, the only name I'll ever recognize for it, at the beginning of periods. That's not supposed to happen. It is supposed to be... Jordan Stahl facing off against the opposing team's best player, or Sebastian Ajo when he's at home being our most skilled player. But in this case, it's been Kakanyemi and Natchez at the start of the season taking some pretty big draws. So yes, I think Andrei Svechnikov and Martin Natchez are both going to be incredible this season. My way-too-early prediction, even though it's not all that way-too-early, just too-early prediction, is going to be Martin Natchez or Andrei Svechnikov will lead the Hurricanes in points by the end of the season. I would probably put my money on Andrei, but to each their own, you do what you want. Moving quickly away from that, I want to talk about the reverse retro jerseys. The Carolina Hurricanes jersey is fine. 
It's just fine. It's not a bad jersey. And, you know, no one's going to go riot and say, oh my god, what is this? You guys are the worst people since ever. But it's also not an amazing jersey. No one's going to write home and be like, hey, I need $280 to buy this incredible jersey. Because it's just a carbon copy of our away jersey that we currently have. The white jersey with canes diagonally down the chest and two warning flags on the shoulders. It's the same jersey, it's just on red. But I don't think that was the team's original plan. I 100% think that they were going to make another Hartford Whalers throwback jersey, because money. Those original jerseys sold very well. I don't remember where I saw this, but it was in the top five of the entire National Hockey League last time. So it makes a lot of sense that Tom Dundon, in a for-profit business, is going to make another one. But... Carolina Hurricanes fans, as long with other fans just around the league, are starting to get tired of the Whalers logo. They are overusing that hand. And I don't know if you know anything about wells, but you don't want to over-tap the well. You won't be able to come back to it. So why not take time, come up with another good one later, and show some recognition to the franchise that has now been in rally longer than it was ever in Hartford. Ice Aesthetics, which is an incredible YouTube channel slash website slash Twitter account that covers National Hockey League's jerseys, news, updates, and then original concepts generated by site users. It's a pretty cool place. I'll link it down below. Had been reporting that the Hartford Whalers reverse retro that we got last time wasn't the original idea. The original idea was a red jersey with the Whalers crest in the center. So it would be like a blending of the Hurricanes and the Whalers. And every rumor up until the jersey was announced was that that was what it was going to be. They were going to return to the Whalers well again, but with a spin on it to make it more Hurricanes adjacent. Clearly they gave up on this, and the reason I know this is because of a tweet from Mike Foreman, who is the chief marketing officer for the team, who tweeted out, We heard all of you. A little break from the Whalers from the reverse retro. Transitioning again to try to cover everything we can in our normal 30-minute episode, we have an update on Ethan Bear. We had been talking throughout the offseason and then early into the season and preseason that Ethan Bear has had a uncertain offseason. It looked like maybe they weren't going to qualify him, but then they did, and then maybe they won't be able to sign him once they qualified him and they trade him for assets, but they didn't. They signed him to a $2.2 million contract, and he sits on the roster to this day. He has also not touched the ice since preseason. He has not played in any of the Carolina Hurricanes' six regular season games so far. On Saturday, on Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Friedman said that they had had several trades in the process, but the Hurricanes do not believe that they were in a cap situation where they would have to give up assets to deal Bayer out of Carolina, nor are they willing to keep a percentage of his contract for a deal that they do not see as valuable to them. They will not give up an asset to move Bear. They do not think it's worth it. Elliot Friedman reported at that time that all options were still open for Bear, but that he expected it to be handled soon. It could be either a trade, he's placed on waivers, or that he would finally get ice time in the NHL. There was an update on Monday on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. And in this case, I think it's better just to let you hear what Friedman said. What's happening with Ethan Bear? There does not seem to be any room at the inn here for the right shot, D. Look, he, he hasn't played yet. Like I said, I, I don't think there's anything nefarious here. Rod Brindamore is just going with the lineup that 
he thinks gives him the best chance to win. And after I reported on Saturday night, I heard that there was actually a trade request in last summer that he wanted to move on. And it obviously it didn't happen. Now, this isn't mind-boggling news. If you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Ethan Bear had an offseason. He doesn't really know our organization. He didn't start here. He started in Edmonton. Why not try to get a fresh start somewhere else? Makes a lot of sense. Hopefully, the situation will be settled soon. Because, Forrest, I don't like that we're paying someone $2.2 million to sit in a press box with Chip Alexander and Adam Gold. So I'd like that to be settled. But we also have no idea how this will get settled. So hopefully it ends well for Ethan Bear, the person. Because while this is a business, it's never a bad idea to think about the player, the human being, the actual person. So hopefully that works out. And speaking about a player, the actual person, that I really wanted something to work out for... Eric Stahl finally got to sign his one-year, 750000 league minimum contract with the Florida Panthers. He now joins brother Mark Stahl and longtime coach in Carolina, Paul Maurice, as a member of the Florida organization. There was no news for this when it comes to the Carolina Hurricanes. There was no reason for me to be talking about it other than that I really like Eric Stahl and I really wanted this to work out for him. and I'm just happy it did. I was worried for a while there that he was going to be pushed out of the league unceremoniously because of cap situations around the league. Situations that are not tenable. The the league cannot survive like this for the two to three years that we have been told that it will. For those of you who are either, either not aware or have forgotten, the entire problem of why the cap hasn't gone up is because in 2020, when the NHL had no idea when they were going to play games again, Players were still getting paid their contracts, but the agreement was that they would only keep paying, getting paid their contracts if the players would pay it back in escrow payments until however long it gets paid off, and there would be no cap adjustments. Well, I shouldn't say no, but very small million-dollar cap adjustments would be made annually into the debt had been paid off. This week, Gary Bettman came out, and I don't know where it was, whether it was at a media event or to a certain reporter, I apologize, but he came out and said that actually the NHL Player Association is very close to paying off escrow, and it should be done by the end of the season, and that if it did, the cap could be expected to go up by at least $4 million next season. And if that happens, I actually talked to Adam Gold about this, if the cap starts going up by multi-million dollars amounts next season, I think that extends our cap window because we'll have more space to work with because if they're going up by $4 million next year, it's going to be more than $10 million in the next three years, which solves a lot of problems for us about having to pay certain guys like Jacob Slavin, Sebastian Ajo, or Brett Pesci. Moving along quickly from there because we're coming close to halfway through the podcast, I want to start talking about the actual games and this road trip through the western United States and then up through western Canada. And the road trip itself I have no problem with. Us going 3-1-1 is good. I believe I said in the last podcast that we should win those games, and I still believe that we should have. We could have won both the games we lost. But it was no guarantee. Calgary and the Oilers are legit teams. They are going to be playoff teams this year. And no win in the NHL is free, especially not against playoff teams. But my problem with this road trip, before we actually get into the games here, is that I hate the state fair. 
And not in the way you think. I hate the North Carolina State Fair for one reason. And it's because every time the fair is in town, the Carolina Hurricanes hit the road. And it never works out well for us. It's worked out better for us in the past few seasons. So Rod Brandenmore, this is his fifth season as head coach. Through that time, we've played four times in the month of October. Because the 2020 season was shorted to 56 games because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So there was only four seasons we can pull from here. But in those four seasons, we have this year, where we are 3-1-1. One, and one. That's good. That's really good, actually. And then last year, we were 3-0 and oh when the State Fair was in town, which is the best you can possibly do. Undefeated. And then 2020, we didn't play any games. In 2019, we were 1-3-1 one, and one while the State Fair was in town. That is more like it. Before Rod Brandemore, that was almost every year. We always went on these massive losing streaks during the State Fair road trip. In Rod's first season, 2018-2019, we went 1-3, and three, and that one win was an OT loss to the Wild, so we still gave them a point. Not in our conference, so it doesn't super matter, and not in our division, so I super don't care, but it we gave up one point, so it doesn't even really count as a win, because we gave up the loser's point. We are terrible during the State Fair road trips. Under Rod Brendamore, when the State Fair is in town, we are a 500 team. His normal like record, his average for the past five seasons is a six point. I mean, a point six five five. We don't want to play on the road, and we especially don't want to start a season off on the road. But every year, this is what we do for the North Carolina State Fair, and I hate it. I absolutely hate it every single year. The hope here is that with the arena updates and the parking lots, or parking garages, actually, that Tom Dunson wants to put in, that we eliminate this problem, and we stop sending our team to the West Coast every time the season starts to lose a handful of games to start things out. Yes, last year we went undefeated, and that's great, but I'm going to tell you something. Those three games we played last year were Nashville, Montreal, and Columbus. All three of those games we should have won. But in games in years like this one, where we played games against teams that are supposed to win, like Calgary and Edmonton, we're going to lose at least one of those before anyone's had real time to get those sea legs back. It's just stupid. It's short-sighted. And I hate that we were a professional hockey league that have to cowtail and tiptoe around events like this. I understand the State Fair brings in a lot of money, and I understand a lot of people love the State Fair. This isn't even a rant against the State Fair. I just want us to play hockey games during the State Fair, something that we have done before. In fact, in 2018, we played the Blackhawks at home on what was the last day of the North Carolina State Fair, and we beat them 4 to nothing. 4 to nothing. I'm just saying I hate it, and I want them to at least give... I realize it's not going to happen every season, but why not try to give our players that competitive advantage to get a couple more points in October? Because at the end of the season, you never know what that couple points could mean. You could get home ice advantage, you could win a division, or even a presence trophy. So yes, I'm stupidly tired of this stupid, idiotic, not thought out at all, but has been somehow going on for all 20 seasons we have been in Raleigh, State Fair road trip. But I guess I'll hop off that soapbox that I might have gone a little too deep on. And we'll talk about the first game in Edmonton. Again, I can't go really in-depth on these, and I apologize in advance. But this game was entertaining. Uh, you know, it's it was a disappointing loss in Edmonton. 4-6, to six, 
but it's really only 5 to 6 if you don't include McDavid's empty netter. And while that is disappointing, and while I would have liked to have gotten at least, you know, a loser point there, it was a really entertaining game. It's Connor McDavid. It's Dreisaitl. It's Nugent Hopkins. All three of which, by the way, scored goals in this game. You can, every once in a while, lose these good, entertaining hockey games. I also did not think we played all that well. Like, we didn't play in the fourth period almost at all, which is a pattern of ours. What is what is with our professional hockey team? Again, professional hockey team, that it always takes them 20 minutes to get into a game. I, I, I really don't understand it. And this isn't just Rod. It has been a long-term problem that predates him, that we start these games late. And Rod preaches about it all the time. But Rod also preaches about not taking stupid penalties. So, you know, everything he says isn't listened to. But it's incredibly frustrating that at this point, four games into the season, we still haven't started a game on time. It's insane to me. What do we need to do to be able to remind them that, hey, this matters. This first period matters. You score a couple goals here, and you can win the game. Andrei Svechnikov, although, makes me not care about this game at all, excluding for one reason. His first hat trick in the regular season. Something that was squandered by the loss, but the loss wasn't on him. You know how I know? Because he scored a fucking hat trick. I'm going to be honest with you. Very rarely, like I don't know if it's ever happened, has someone who scored the hat trick also cost you the game. I want to listen to his interview inside the locker room really quickly and point something out, which I think we all know, but I hate every single time I see it. Score hat trick, but uh, it's a tough one. You're losing, you know, and uh, it's kind of suck. But uh, you know, just uh, I think uh, you know my job is uh, is uh, to be a shooter, and uh, that's what I was doing today. So I just shoot it on the net and uh, try to score some goals. But uh, yeah, it was tough. You know, just tough to lose this one for sure. Andre had just scored a hat trick. This should be an incredible night for him. He should be able to go to the locker room and celebrate. But you can't because your team loses. And I understand it's a team sport, and I understand why it happens. But I hate it for the person who just achieved something who, it doesn't matter. He won't get to celebrate it. Not really. Because his team let him down, and they lost. Speaking of losing, let's move on to Calgary, where the Carolina Hurricanes would lose in overtime 3-2 at Calgary. Of course, it's a road trip. Don't know why I had to pick that up. The game starts with a Andrei Svechnikov breakaway goal. You heard me right. You're not mistaken. You're not having a stroke. There's no need to worry. Andrei Svechnikov scored a breakaway goal. And the only reason this is special is because Andrei Svechnikov doesn't really score breakaway goals. It's not his strong suit. He's He's good at a lot of different things. Not so much on breakaways. And it's funny because right after the Edmonton game, it had been talked about in the fan base about how he did it. And it's just like he came out of Calgary and was like, oh, I, I can't score on a breakaway. I'll show you. And then did it. And it was actually pretty sweet. He carries it in himself. He literally just tucks it in five hole, just barely makes it. But hey, it's a goal just over 90 seconds into the game. About nine minutes later, Calvin DeHaan gets his first goal as a Carolina Hurricane 2.0. And you know what? I take everything back. They're putting together a great first period. This is amazing. It's 2-0. Everything's going to be fine. We'll go into the intermission. We'll win the game 58-0. We'll 
fly back, or well, actually we'll fly to Vancouver and everything will be dope. Except Nazem Kaudry decided that's not going to happen, and he makes a 2-1 game about three minutes after DeHaan scores. And the rest of the game from here isn't amazing. Honestly, I should have known. I should have been like, oh my god, they're putting together a good force period. The rest of this game is going to be utter trash. And it was. And we'll... There's a lot of overarching issues here on this road trip that I'll touch on after the games. But we ultimately lose in overtime after Brett Barnes passes to a teammate who's going to the bench, handing it straight over to the Flames, who quickly convert it into a goal, taking it in overtime. Svechenichis will also kept off the score sheet for the first time this season in Calgary, and ultimately, it's a game we could have won and should have won, but systems broke down multiple times throughout the game. Multiple players did things or made mistakes or were missing on plays when they shouldn't have been, obviously. And it's it's hard, because in games like this, where you, you could have picked up the extra point, it kind of doesn't really matter. Because it's not like you're going to come against Calgary to win the division to get home ice advantage. But at the same point, it does matter. Because we're here to win. I don't care about the loser point. I want my two points. And we had it in hand, and we we couldn't get it done. Now that we're 21 minutes into the podcast, I'm going to choose not to go deep on that in this exact moment. And we're just going to move on to Vancouver. A team that has not won in regulation so far this season. And according to Hockey Gods, that does mean they're due for a win. Except that Vancouver's problem is that they just can't play. They can play, but they can't play. They have copped up multi-lead games three times. I'm sorry, four times this season. Coming into their game against Carolina, they had had the lead in each of their previous three games. I'm sorry, their previous five games and still lost all of them. So, you would think all Carolina has to do is go get an early lead and coast on it. It'll be fine. This team, it's not that their coaching is bad. It's not that Jimmy Rutherford has assembled a poor quality roster, even though he kind of has. But also, he didn't assemble it, so whatever. It's that they they literally have like no chemistry. I don't know how to explain it, but Vancouver, Vancouver seems like it's a beer league team that they assembled out in the parking lot. And I was like, okay, who wants to play tonight? So we should, in every single way, beat the Vancouver Canucks. But again, hockey gods are weird. I mean, the Arizona Coyotes haven't lost a game in Toronto. Well, I shouldn't say that. They haven't at least gotten a point from any game in Toronto since 2002. For those of you counting at home, that's 20 years. So the hockey gods can be weird. And we could have lost this game if we'd come out and, you know, played poorly. And Vancouver had finally gotten their heads out of their butt. In this case... Eh, not really. Andrei Svechnikov scores on the power play six minutes into the game. Cool. Dope. That's what we needed. We just needed an early goal. And then TJ Miller, I mean, JT Miller, I wonder how often that happens. Anyways, JT Miller would score six minutes after to make it a 1-1 game, again, on the power play, and, you know, we're tied going into the second period. And this is where things become interesting, because again, the hockey gods have a way of punishing good teams who choose to underestimate their opponents. And we might have just done that. Now, realistically, we haven't. Because, again, Vancouver's bad. And in the second period, they're really not good. They get outscored 
every single time. And in the third period, at this point, they were 1-13. to 13. They had one goal, the opponents had 13 goals in the last game, in the last period of regulation. So not good. So really, once again, we just need to score first again. And this is where my man, 100 grand, the heart of Finland, the one and only fishy, Sebastian Ajo scores 50 seconds into the period, assisted by Seth Jarvis and Tara Vinen, a line that could be getting us a lot more points, but not my point at the moment, gets it done less than a minute into the third period. And you know what? I'm doing great. I'm having a great time because we should totally win this game now. We have a lead and Vancouver is terrible in the last 40 minutes. All you have to do at this point is limit your liabilities. Don't make stupid plays and everything will be fine. And then the unthinkable happens. 37 seconds later, Jesper Faust scores. A stupid, ridiculous goal where the puck literally rides up his hand. When you go back and look at the replay of the camera that's right on top of the glass behind the net, you see Jornstahl pass it to him, it hits his stick, rolls up the shaft of the stick, falls down, hits his skate, and then goes into the net. Non no kicking motion, totally legal, but just a stupid, greasy goal that I'm in love with. In fact, if I'm going to let you guys listen to any goal from these past three games, I'm going to let it be this one, just because it's a good, stupid, greasy goal. Jesper Voss, first of the year in Carolina. Two goals in less than a minute. Go up three to one. Did I mention it was the game-winning goal? Because it was. A stupid, greasy goal won a hockey game. I know. Breaking news. Calgary would score again, ultimately, once again by JT Miller, who, if he had played defense in this game, maybe Vancouver could have won. Andrei Svechnikov and Martin Natchez also got back on the score sheets after their four-game point streaks both died in Calgary. Sebastian Ajo extended his point streak to five games, who now has the longest point streak of the season, not to get outdone by Andrei Svechnikov or Martin Natchez. From here, I actually want to transition into overall thoughts on these three games and how some fans have reacted to these three games. The first one is going to be after the loss in Calgary. I'm sorry, after the loss in Edmonton. You know, uh, we all make jokes about, like, uh, Adam Gold has the famous uh, you can't go 82-0 without going 1-0 or 2-0, or, you know, whichever the game is, which got a lot of tread last year. It did not get nearly as much this year. And, you know, it's a good time. I talk about how we would go 98-0 and people should have more confidence in the team. These are all fun, good times to do when you're still undefeated. But no one, and I mean absolutely no one, will ever go 82 or 98 and 0. It's next to impossible. If the stacked, almost illegal Montreal Canadiens of the 1970s couldn't go 82 and 0 with the best coach of all time, some of the best scorers of all time, and one of the best goalies of all time, the Carolina Hurricanes of 2022 are not going to do it. In fact, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are perhaps the best team we have seen in the post-cap era, couldn't get anywhere near that number. Do I wish we could have gone undefeated for longer and, you know, the 
good VODs could have kept rolling? Of course. Am I terribly disappointed that the team isn't undefeated anymore? Not really, no. Being 3-1-1 one, one on that road trip is respectable. That's good hockey. That's what we want and should expect. If they came back only 1-3-1, we have a lot of issues we need to work out. But everything is fine when you're 3-1-1. One, one. That's a good road record. There are a handful of people, I'm not even going to say a lot, because it's not every Canes fan. In fact, most Canes fans think we did well on this road trip. But there was a handful of Canes fans that need to stop overreacting and calm down. You live in like this, I almost want to say TikTok culture, but I don't mean it in a negative way, of you have to have an opinion on every little thing, on every little second, and it needs to be something spicy. It needs to be a hot take. They lost to Edmonton, which means this team will go nowhere. They'll lose in the first round with a power play of 0% and a penalty kill of 50% because we are terrible. And that's just not going to happen. It is 5-6. We are six games into the season now. We are not even at 10 games. We're not even at 8 games, which would be 10% of the season, which is almost nothing. Jordan Stahl, Jesper Foss, Tara and Seth Jarvis in a way... Um, Brett Burns, Brett Pesci, all, all aren't at their prime yet. They're not at their mid-season form. All of them have been productive and have had their own key plays through these six games, but none of them are at their full potential for the season yet, because we were only six games in. Give it another six games. Hell, give it another 12 games. At 18 games, if you want to start talking to me that Teo Teravainen, I mean, Torbo still hasn't had a goal, we can talk about that. If the PK still hasn't been able to produce, even though I will argue to my death that it has looked good at points. That four-minute power play in Vancouver, not so much. I'm sorry, in Calgary, not so much. That that was god-awful. By the way, bad luck on Calgary fans to brew Brett Burns after he was gushing blood. Your player assaulted him, but you're going to boo him? It's not a good look. But that's not my point. Even though that four-minute penalty power play was terrible. I'm not upset at the whole power play. It has looked good, and it's producing. It's in the top half of the league right now. Well, I'm sorry, the top third of the league. We're, we're at 13 right now. We're actually tied for 12th, but it, I, I don't know. On the NHL website, it has us at 13th, but our stat is the same as number 12. So I'm going to say we're tied at 12 and go from there. In fact, thanks to Corey LaViolette, I know that the entire time that Rod has been here, we have pretty much hovered around 12th in the league on the power play, which is good. It's not the best, no. But if you have a decent to good power play and a lethal penalty kill, which we do, everything will work out in the end. That's not going to be your problem. It's going to be getting your 5-on-5 goals. And as long as you don't commit a ton of stupid penalties, given the team all of the chances in the world, it shouldn't really come up that much. We also play a defensive style. That's who we are as a team. That's who Rod Brindamore was as a player. There's a reason that Nadelkovic and Reimer and Morazic all looked really good in our organization and then left and have had so-so results at best. There is a reason that Auntie Ranta and Freddie Anderson are the, Jennings, are the reigning Ginny Trophy. That's a mouthful. Are the winning Jennings Trophy winners from last season. We are currently tied in second with 
randomly, the Philadelphia Flyers with 14 goals allowed in six games. The only team that's better than us is St. Louis, who has only played four games and has allowed nine goals. Oh, and yes, at the time of this recording, Tuesday night, Andrei Svechnikov currently leads all players in the NHL with seven goals. So everyone, please, even if you're not panicking, realize that we are doing good right now. This is the start of the season you want to happen. Speaking of things you want to happen, we'll take a quick look at the Islanders game on Friday before we leave. The first home game in two weeks, the Carolina Hurricanes will take on the New York Islanders at 7 o'clock, and then they'll play Philly on Saturday, but I'll have a new episode out by then. So the Saturday episode will be post-game for the Islanders game. I know, everyone must be so excited. Going into the Islanders game, we should destroy them. Gotta be 100% honest here. We should dominate them. Not only is it a home game, and we always play better at home, but the Islanders are only 2-4 and four on the season. There was absolutely no reason that we should not spank them and pick up our two points for the Metros and then move on to the Philly the next night, who we should also beat, even though it's in Philly and is a back-to-back. I was somehow able to cram this all into just 32 minutes. I will be back on Saturday. Play the music. Thank you as always for listening. I only ask that if you've made it this far into the show, you might as well subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Maybe share it with a friend. Share it on social media. Help the show grow. Thank you so much for listening. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, we even have a Facebook, at Colin Home Ice. There will be links down below for Elliot Friedman, Corey LaViolette, and Aesthetics. And always, there will be a link to support the show in every single way there is possible. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you, oh, well, I won't see you, you will hear me again on Saturday. Have a great weekend.